His name is Rafael Manguel. He's of the Manhattan Institute, and he's a senior fellow and head of research. And your first book, Criminal Injustice, it's available out there. It's uh, You authored and co-authored a number of also reports and op-ed issues ranging on uh, talking about urban crime and all the jail violence. And uh, it's a lot going on, a lot of crime plaguing our city streets. Now, we've been going through with Professor Dershowitz on a recent lawsuit with uh, Patrolman Sal Greco got thrown off the force for hanging around or talking to Roger Stone or talking to uh, or being a, a supporter of Trump. And we asked Professor Dershowitz, where would he put if he was a if he was a betting man, would he put money on Sal Greco, the patrol officer that just sued the city for 15 or 20 million? Or would he put money on on the NYPD defending the fact that they should have thrown him out? You know any much about the case of Mr. Morano, who's on Frank Morano from the other side of midnight? Well, we'll, we'll brief you on it. I, I don't know about the case, no. So I, I unfortunately can't opine on it. Un- understood. Uh, where you know, there's so much crime going on in the city. Uh, at what point did he do, to do the New Yorkers say we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore? I'm um, as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. <laughs> That's uh, it's a tough question, you know, because uh, if you think back historically, right, think back to 1993 when Mayor Giuliani won his election, largely running on the crime issue. He lost his first election bid, um, despite crime being as bad as it had ever been up until that point. And in 1993, barely won by the skin of his teeth. I mean, really, Staten Island came out in big numbers, but I believe he lost Manhattan in that race. So. What that tells you is that you know there there may be uh, a, a bit more tolerance than we'd all like to think for crime moving in the direction that it's moving in for the next few years. So I, I'm not particularly optimistic that the sort of political pushback that I think needs to happen uh, in order to get these reforms that I think are at the root of a lot of our recent Raphael Edcox um, here. Reform. What has happened to the broken windows theory, which I know Manhattan Institute way back when was really influential in that, and it was adopted by the NYPD under Rudy Giuliani, and it worked. Is it, uh, yeah. is it still there or not? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's still there. I think the difference is is that a lot of the order maintenance efforts that, um, you know, are, are sort of part and parcel of broken windows have been undermined by a lot of different reform efforts, by prosecutors not bringing those kinds of cases, um, even when the, the NYPD does make an arrest. And so offenders know that, you know, the NYPD doesn't have a very good answer to the question of or what when they say stop doing X, Y, and Z because they have a pretty good chance of not being prosecuted. And if they are prosecuted, they have a pretty good chance of being right back out in the street, you know, within a matter of hours. Rafael, this is Craig Eaton. Uh, you know, I'm an attorney here in New York City. And, and if you look, I'm looking at the statistics here. And, and I think it's, it's all a result of bail reform, discovery reform, um, taking away stop, question, and frisk, putting handcuffs on the prosecutors, the judges, and the cops, and taking them off to criminals. But but now the police department, I mean, they're not working with the police officers. Now there's a, a new rule now that police officers can't congregate and can't talk to each other. Uh, it, it's It's ludicrous what's happening here. I mean... All the rights are being taken away from law enforcement, and and the criminals have all the rights. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and I've characterized the reform movement, particularly here in New York, in the following way over the last few years, which is that it has been a systematic effort 
to lower the transaction cost of committing crime while raising the transaction cost of enforcing the law. And I think we're seeing a lot of that. You mentioned two of the reforms, uh, bail reform, discovery reform, but there's also been the advent of the progressive prosecutor movement, which have made charges less likely, which have made convictions less likely. Um, we've seen uh, the raise the age reform, now less is more. We've seen the right to no act, all, you know, the, the, the stop and frisk litigation, all of these things that have at the same time made it much less likely that people are going to uh, experience severe consequences for crime commission while also making it um, much more difficult for the NYPD to do its job. I mean, I wrote a piece from the New York Post a couple months ago, um, uh, or a few months ago, I should say, saying that, look, refunding the NYPD is necessary, but it is not going to be sufficient to get our crime problem back under control because at the end of the day, what we've seen happen over the last decade is that reforms have made it so that the effect of the NYPD's efforts is going to be much more muted in the future because the rest of the system isn't playing by the same rules. And yeah, no, I agree. Case. I agree. The, the, everyone has to play by the same rules. You know, the police officers arresting people and then they get out within 10 hours. What happens then? I mean, you know, we, we need, a, we need a, a change in the system. We need to change how we do business in New York City to get these criminals off the streets, back in prison where they belong, and it's going to take a full full court effort on the prosecutors, the legislators in Albany, uh, and the police officers and the judges. Again, we are speaking with Rafael Manguel of the Manhattan Institute. His latest book, Criminal Injustice, What the Push for Decarceration and Depolicing Gets Wrong and Who It Hurts Most. Now, Rafael, Governor Hochul, she seems to be blaming the judges. There was that recent case that became very high profile. Well, two cases, one where the guy had been arrested. He was on lifetime parole multiple, multiple times. He sucker punched the person. God, that person was in a coma and then Hochul made a phone call. And then there's been another case where cops were attacked and she that person was also let out on no bail. Whose fault is it? Is it is it the bail reform? Are the judges not understanding? Can you set the record straight? Oh, I think it's absolutely the reform, and she knows full well that the judges don't have discretion to hold people on the basis of the dangerousness that they pose to the community, right? And, and so that's the real issue, right? That, so anything else is not – any other defense is not really responsive to the central critique of New York's bail reform. What Hogel is saying is that, oh, well, these were actually bail-eligible offenses, and so the judge could have imposed bail in those cases rather than releasing them without bail. Uh, true enough, but the, the reform also requires judges to use the least restrictive means possible of re- returning the individual back to court. So the, no, the judges are obligated to do the least. Right. Yes. To the, the, the least restrictive means possible only of returning the individual to court. So they can't even consider the least restrictive means possible of, of uh, you know sparing the community of the offenses that the uh, individual might otherwise commit. And that's where the rubber meets the road, and that's where New York has gone far beyond any other state in the union. Of course, we are the only state in the country that uh, disallows judges from considering dangerousness in any aspect of the pretrial. Uh, out, of, out of 50 states? Yeah. Out of 50 states and D.C. Wow. But, John, John, wow. what's funny is that the, the, they're offering these criminals, like, tickets to sporting events and concerts Swag so that they yeah. incentivize them come back? incentivize them to come back and to court May, well how, back. let's joke. ask Raphael how many it's actually do come back that are freed on just their own recognizance yeah i mean i don't have the the numbers in front of me now so i can't i, I can't really give you a sense um, you know anecdotally i've i've heard that there there, there has been an, an uptick in uh, failures to appear fcas 
Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see a systematic analysis of that. The, the, the New York City court system hasn't made that data available. So you want to go um, see yeah, Hamilton. You want to go see Hamilton. You commit a crime. <laughs> and you get front row seats for the play. I've got one question for you, Raphael. Got a quick one because we're almost out of time. Uh, about the, you've given us a lot quick. of statistics showing big increase of crime except for rape. But if law enforcement was doing a job and you were catching more criminals, wouldn't that increase the numbers so that you would actually be doing a good job and crime numbers would go up? Or, or how do you compute these increases in crime? Well, these increases in crimes are crime reports, right? These are um, reports of crime committed. So, yeah, I mean, that, not versus crimes that might have been downgraded or people that were arrested. Okay, thank you, Raphael. Thank you so much. And we're going to uh, go to Lou Dobbs now to uh, hear what the financial uh, financial community is doing. And uh, we're afterwards, we have George Venizelos to talk about the FBI guy that resigned yesterday, and uh, we have. Uh, Maria Salazar, the congresswoman from Miami. There's a war going on in Miami, and stay tuned to find out about that war. And let's go to Lou Dobbs.